0: Have you ever thought about what will happen to your pet? Should you no longer be able to care for them or if you pass away? Life Pet Care is the world's first pet care administration company and they provide do-it-yourself pet estate will kits. Now these are legal document folks. They are considered an amendment or a codicil that you add directly to your personal will. You can access this by visiting kimlinglingauthor.com, scroll down until you see Life Pet Care, click on that link and you will get 33% off of that do-it-yourself pet estate will kit. Now folks, it's just $29.99, but if you click that link, you will get 33% off. Let's make sure that our furry loved ones are taken care of if, for whatever reason, we are no longer able to care for them. Hello friends, Kim Langling here. Hey, another week has gone by and that means that we've got another episode of Let Fear Bounce coming your way. But first, I wanna tell you you're awesome. In case no one's told you that today, you are awesome. And I also wanna let you in on a little secret. The world is a better place because you are in it and don't you forget it. That's my little nugget of hope I'm tossing your way today. So hey, sit back, relax, grab that cup of coffee and let's listen in to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I am so happy that you are deciding to spend just a small part of your day with myself and my special guest today, RJ Post. He grew up in Ohio and Kansas, and he earned a Bachelor of Arts in English from St. Mary of the Plains College in Dodge City, Kansas. He worked as a reporter editor and manager at newspapers in Kansas and Nebraska for 31 years, and now he works as a copywriter and digital content creator for a marketing agency. He is also the author of two books, which one of them is Tasmanian Tigers, True Love and Other Elusive Things, 5, 10 and 20 Minutes to Read, and second book, Lion Taming, Dating and Other Dangerous Endeavors. He lives in Grand Island, Nebraska, with his wife, Susan, and they have three grown daughters. Welcome, RJ, to Let Fear Bounce.
1: Well, thank you for having me here this morning.
0: Okay, I am intrigued by the titles of your books, <laughs> just because when I, they make me smile, first off. They make me smile, and then they make me think, what, what's inside those books? I think I want to check out those pages. So let's talk about your books, first off. What made you want to... Uh, Well, I know you've been writing your whole life, even since you were a young boy, and we'll get into that, but to the Tasmanian Tigers, True Love and Other Elusive Things. I love that title. Share a little bit about how that title came about.
1: Well, my eldest daughter and I like uh, to watch those shows on television about the, the cryptids, the strange creatures, all those sorts of things. I have no idea if any of that's real or not. It's just fun to watch. And uh, that's how we, I think, first got on the subject of the Tasmanian tiger, which, uh, if you're not familiar, was this actual flesh and blood creature uh, on the island of Tasmania and Australia, whatnot, this strange canid marsupial that sort of looks like a wolf in the front and a tiger in the back. And uh, nobody's seen one since the 30s. Except people keep saying that they've seen it, so uh, it's that ongoing question: is is it still around or isn't it? And uh, we're also fans of museums. We like to go to museums on trips and whatnot. And there's a few of them here in our area that will have these large displays of either taxidermied animals or you know the skeletons of mammoths or what have you. And uh, every time I went to one of those, I I thought, uh, well, you know, they certainly look uh, stiff and dead, but uh, uh, what if they're not? What if maybe they uh, just come to life one day and decide to sneak out the little door on the side of the case and go have an adventure somewhere? And that's that's how that particular story came about.
0: Awesome. I love that because your brain works like mine does.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go great minds think alike.
0: That is right. That is right. And as you were describing that, it made me think, have you seen those movies night, night at the museum?
1: I have seen those. I wasn't really thinking about that when I wrote it, but I have had people make that comparison.
0: I love those movies. I think they're great fun to watch. I just watched them again a couple months ago, uh, just because they're fun. They're fun to watch. And I always, you know, you makes you wonder because the, these animals and these in these beings or whatever, they they were alive at one point. Sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Thanks for a toy
1: story. You know, what do your toys do when you're not when you're not looking, you know,
0: when I was little, um, I used to think that my toys and stuff did come alive at nighttime. I was very firmly convinced that they did. And I would try and stay up as late as I could to watch (laughs) it happen. And I never I, I never caught them. And here I am in my 50s, you know, reached a different season in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I bet they do come to life at night.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, today, you know, as adults, if something like that happened in our life, if we caught out of the corner of our eye some uh, uh, toy or other object in our home moving around by itself, we'd be sort of freaked out about that. But
0: I I would probably be freaked out at first, but then I'd be like, oh, how cool it really does happen. Well, how fun. How fun. So when was that book released?
1: That book was released uh, just this past December.
0: Oh, awesome. So it's new.
1: It is new. Mm -hmm. Awesome.
0: Then let's let's jump on to uh, Lion Taming, Dating and Other Dangerous Endeavors.
1: Well, that one I actually wrote during the pandemic and uh, during the lockdown. Normally, I commute about 40 minutes to work each way. And during the lockdown, I was working here from home for 10 weeks, and uh, I had a little extra time because I wasn't, uh, you know, that's about 90 minutes altogether. And so uh, before I would sign into work in the morning or after I was done at the end of the day, I would spend some time just doing some creative writing. I used to love to do that when I was younger, and then I spent 31 years in the newspaper game, which is like... uh, 31 years on a nonstop treadmill, you know. And so I didn't really have time for those sort of creative pursuits. But uh, at that time I did. So I got back into writing short stories. And at, before I knew it, I had, you know, around 10 or so. And I thought, you know, when I get a dozen, that's probably a book. And so that's that's what I did. I went ahead and put them all together in a book.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Do you have plans to do another type of uh, collection of stories in the future?
1: Well, I just completed, actually, uh, my first novel. Um, It's in the editing process at the moment, but that one is called Phantoms in the Fieldhouse, and uh, it's about a group of teenagers that are investigating basically a haunted gymnasium, you know. Oh, Their high school has a haunted gymnasium and they're trying to figure out what's going on with that. So I hope to have that released in a few months, certainly before the end of the year.
0: How awesome. Well, congratulations on that, because that's a that's a big switch up from short stories to a novel.
1: Yeah, the longest thing I had written previously, the longest individual piece short story was seven thousand words. And uh, the novel I just completed, it's about 45,000. Yeah. So it's a a short novel, but it is a big step from uh, just doing 7,000 words.
0: Oh, and it's a whole different world.
1: Yes. You you find you have to write in a different sort of way. Uh, You know, something that might have taken a few sentences in a short story, you might spend a whole chapter on that, you know, go into more depth, more dialogue, that kind of thing.
0: So you've been writing since a very young age, and I did see like on your website and such that uh, you delivered newspapers. Yes. As one of your first jobs. That was my first job, delivering newspapers when I was 13. <laughs> so
1: yeah, I again, delivered the uh, the Lorraine Journal in uh, Northern Ohio. That was the paper I delivered.
0: I delivered the Linesville Herald.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And the, Me- <laughs> and the Meadville Tribune. Yes. Uh, yeah, getting up at four thirty every morning at the age of thirteen, heading down to the post office. the The guy was always unloading the truck with all the papers. I'd grab my bundles and do my. I was
1: lucky. I was lucky enough; they dropped the bundles right in front of my house. So,
0: oh well, good for you.
1: <laughs> I was slacking, I guess.
0: <laughs> but I, it was interesting, though. I look back now because I'm thinking I was only thirteen, and mom let me do that. But we lived in a very small time and times were very, very different back then too. True. Um, but I remember doing that, you know, 4.30 and i get home, take a shower, get something to eat and head to school. Yeah. That's what we did, you know? And I, I always, but I also appreciate my mom letting me do that at 13 because it also it gave you a sense of accomplishment and, and pride because I was earning my own money.
1: Yeah. You know? and so if you... I
0: wanted to go down to the corner store and... And buy a bunch of penny candy i could
1: (laughs) there you go yeah
0: it was fun stuff fun stuff looking back at that so do you have anything on the horizon i know you're just you're just finishing up a novel it's in the editing stage but do you have other ideas percolating in your brain of things that you want to write
1: well you know i uh for a long time i have wanted to write uh well you know what they call the book for a musical, the book being the spoken word part of it. And uh, for a long time, I've had this idea of writing the book for a musical. So I may get around to that at some point. Uh, I have thought about writing a nonfiction book uh, about writing from the perspective of the things that I have noticed that are the same and different between newspaper writing, writing for marketing, and fiction writing. So maybe that's something I'll get around to at some point as well.
0: That would actually be very helpful for a lot of folks, especially new writers.
1: There's a lot of good books out there, but uh, I think that would be a a different approach. I was just thinking
0: uh, that. Yeah, you have a different perspective because you've been in the different realms, you know. Um, Yeah.
1: And some things are the same and some things aren't. (laughs) You know, some basic things, a good story always starts with, Uh, You know, you need a beginning, a middle and an end. Every story needs conflict, whether it's even a newspaper story or in marketing. It needs conflict, just like uh, something that you would write for fiction or a movie you would see.
0: So you and your family and I'm jumping around here, you and your family enjoy music. Yes. And I did. I did see on your site that you guys enjoy it immensely. And you have recorded songs of you and your family singing and and, and doing songs on your website. So how did that come about? And what a cool family thing to do together.
1: Well, you know, we have always liked music. My wife was in choir in high school and college, and uh, she also participated in theater. That was one of the first things that we did together. Actually, I ran the school, the college newspaper And I went to do a story on this play that she was in and uh, I was sitting in it was the dress rehearsal and I was sitting in the audience, not really anybody there but me and maybe the director and they're going through the dress rehearsal and her bit was over and done my wife and uh, she comes up and sits down next to me in the audience and she says so are you are you taking me out for pizza after this is done. You know, I barely knew her, you know, yeah. and I thought, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't we do that? And, uh, you know, uh, wow, we knew each other for about three years before we were married. So that was like 39 years ago and oh, we're awesome. still together. So good for her. But uh, yeah, then, good for her. <laughs> I'm glad she did that. Let me say that. I'm glad she took the initiative.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: then as our kids were growing up, they were all involved in music, too. Uh, they all started playing band instruments in fifth grade. Most of them were involved in choir. They were all involved in uh, musical theater in one way or another. And uh, I always liked music, but I came to it a little later in life. Uh, one of my friends got me involved in a men's choir at our church. And then uh, I always liked the idea of playing the guitar, but I never really got to use it uh, to learn it as a younger person. And so gosh, maybe I was in my 40s, uh, I decided to take it up and uh, had a friend teach me some basic things. And then I just took it from there. And uh, it's just something fun to do together.
0: Oh, and it sounds like you're having a blast on your songs. I, list, I was able to listen to a few of them, a little part of each, you know, some of them, I probably four oh. five of them on there. Yeah, I just listen. And because I music is big to me. I love music. Um, I always have. It's it, it plays a big part in your life. You know, for me anyway, and uh, I sang in the worship team at my church, and oh, uh-huh. sang in chorus in school. You know, and played the flute and band in high school. There you go. Um,
1: One of my kids was a flute player.
0: Okay, yeah, and I loved it. I loved it, and I yeah, music is a is a big part. It's it plays. Music can bring you down, like as in settling you down. If you're having a tough, mm-hmm. time, just come on and you know, come home and. Or in your car in the way home and put on some music and just, you know, it can settle you, or it can rev you up, and, you know, memories shoot back at you. So, yeah, music is music, I think, is vital. I think it's vital to have
1: music in your life. And it's a great form of storytelling. Absolutely. And obviously, I'm interested in storytelling.
0: Yeah, <laughs> So your, your, your main thing that you've done is short stories and stuff. And that's actually, it's funny because that's what I do. I I feel very drawn to doing that. And I love writing short stories. Um, Mine are typically nonfiction, but I have, I have a book in the background that's, you know, been a work in progress for years, Um, more fiction, but those are kind of short stories that I'm bringing all together to turn into like a a full book, you know, Uh like Mm -hmm. an actual with an actual storyline to it. But what made you, what draws you to writing short stories? Now, I know you're in the newspaper business for years, so that might be part Mm -hmm. of it. But what what drew you to that to begin with, to want to continue writing short stories?
1: Well, you know, I'm the type of person that I think if you're a writer, that urge to tell those stories in whatever way, uh, it's going to keep bubbling up in you until you let it out. You know, it's going to keep banging on the back of your head until you you finally let it out. You know, uh, you can think of it as a monster in a cage or you can think of it as, uh, you know, the wellspring of life bubbling up, however you want to think about it. But uh, you have this compulsion, really, to tell those stories and get them out of your system. You know, I think it's probably something that's inherent in all of us. You go back to the dawn of time, people sitting around the fire, telling stories as a way to bring them together, bond them, teach lessons, that sort of thing. And uh, some of us just have this urge. We not only love to hear and read stories, but we want to tell them as well, you know. And uh, so I think it's just kind of a natural thing for some people, me included, Uh, If you're a writer, you'll know it and you just need to answer that call and get it out in whatever way works best for you Um, and not worry about whether it's good enough in the beginning. Just get it out and keep doing it.
0: Exactly. Just keep doing it. Just write. I've written so many things and then I walk away and I'll come back and reread them and be like, wow, what were you thinking that day, Kim? That is awful. (laughs) You know. And then you come back to others and I'll be like, wow, that actually kind of, that's kind of good. Maybe I can do something with it, you know? So it's kind of a, the process for me, anyone, anyway, is fun and also uh, enlightening at times because I do, like you said, that that just kind of bubbles in there until you have to get it mm-hmm. out. And at times, if I'm, I'm outdoors a lot, I'm in the country and I love being outside and I'm always outside walking my dog, sitting out on my back deck, whatever. That's when stories come to me, but sometimes it's like full blown. Uh huh. And it's not just like a glimmer of a story, like, oh, that's a neat idea. No, this is like wham. Oh, and I'll have, you know, the words and everything and the flow and how it's. So I have to run inside Mm -hmm. and either get on my laptop or I record myself on my phone and like hurry up and just get it out of there, (laughs) you know? So I can type it up later. What's the process like for you when a story idea or maybe it's a full-blown story, too, just comes to you?
1: Well, you know, they say there are two kinds of writers. There are plotters and there are pantsers. I'm a pantser. I am a pantser. (laughs) Or sometimes they say a discovery writer. That's a little bit more refined way to say it. So I have sort of a vague general idea and then I work it out as I'm writing. You know, it's not unusual for me to be writing a story or the book I I just completed. I'll be getting to a certain point and I'll think, oh, you know, I said X earlier, so I'm going to make Y happen now. You know, this is a direct cause of something that happened earlier. And at the time I I broke that little bit, I wasn't even thinking that, you know, maybe I was back in the recesses of my brain somewhere. And I just didn't realize that I was thinking of doing that later. But so I kind of work it out as I go along. And of course there's no harm and you know, you get a great idea down here toward the end, you think, oh, well, you know, I'm gonna have to put something in the beginning that's gonna foreshadow that a little bit. So it's not coming completely out of left field. But that's the process for me. I get kind of a general idea, I may make a few notes and then I sit down and start writing. Uh, I may come to a point in a story where I think, okay, so what's going to happen next? I know what I want my destination to be, but I'm not quite sure where I'm going to get, how I'm going to get there, what bases I'm going to touch in between. And then I might, again, sit down, and make some kind of general notes, but I don't do a lot of heavy, heavy plotting. It's more figuring out as I go along.
0: That's yeah. That's pretty much how I do it. I actually, the thought of plotting stresses me out. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some people are just the opposite. The thought of doing it without a, without a, some kind of structure stresses them out.
0: Yeah. Without having the sticky notes along their wall in front of them and all of that.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. The big bulletin board full of index cards.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those, but you know, and everybody has their own way. And I I enjoy hearing how people come up with their ideas and, and the way that they, you know, get into their craft um and their quirks you know some folks some authors have you know different quirks or certain things have to be a certain way on their desk before they can write
1: oh mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I,
0: I I'm probably like that too I always have to have, now I know this is audio folks but I always have to have my minion I'm showing uh-huh. I'm showing that. <laughs> it's my little minion stress ball so I could smush them the minions crack me up they make me smile and just looking at this silly little guy makes me smile so he is always on my desk and if I'm in a stuck point or something, I can just look over at him and smile or I just pick him up and squeeze him because <laughs> he's a stress ball. But that's one thing I have. Do you have something like that on your desk or does your workspace have to be a certain way?
1: Well, I generally keep my you wouldn't know it to look at my desk here at home at the moment, but I generally keep my workspace pretty clean. Um, that's just the way I am. Um my workspace at uh, the office where I work, it's pretty much the computer setup, uh, notebook over here, uh, and that's about it. You know, phone over on the corner of the desk, and, uh, you know, maybe a cup of coffee or a uh, glass of water, but that's about it. I don't have a whole lot on this desk here. I've got a few family photos, but pretty much all I need is the the keyboard. And... Uh, sit down and, and go to it. I suppose I'm probably a little more particular about the way uh, the document is set up. I mean, I, it's always the same typeface, that sort of thing. That's just what looks familiar to me. And so I guess I don't have to think about it after that. I'm not distracted about, uh, hmm, that sans serif type doesn't look normal to me. <laughs> I, I can just go ahead and go then.
0: I'm the same. I always use Arial font 12.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Always. And if it's not, if for whatever reason, my computer decides that's not what it is. And I'm like, why did that change? I have to take the time and change it back.
1: (laughs) Right. So it looks familiar. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. So I want to jump into your newspaper career. Um, You did Mm -hmm. that for a long time. Yes. I'm assuming that you ran into some amazing stories and probably uh, maybe even frightening stories or Sad stories. Is there a story that you've got out of that career, which I'm sure you have many, um, that you can share that you know that was a difficult one? It was a difficult one to deal with.
1: Well, I think the most difficult thing to deal with was 9-11. Now we're here in central Nebraska, so we obviously weren't affected as much as people that were responding to that, people who had loved ones in the buildings or uh, on the flight, Um, but uh, it was something that, uh, you know, from the moment it started, turned on the television in the newsroom, uh, we were responding to it, you know, we were looking for local angles to cover, uh, calling all sorts of people, you know, it started like at seven o'clock in the morning, seven thirty, something like that for us, and i went home sometime after 10 p.m and uh really kept going the whole day we were having a blood drive at work i was scheduled to give blood i never wound up giving blood uh somebody brought me a sandwich i don't even even remember we just went all day and uh did a couple different editions of the paper and of course we wound up covering that heavily from a local angle for i would say at least 6 months. Yeah. You know, we produce a we would produce a news budget every day with a list of the different types of stories we were doing and uh you know, we permanently am, added from for like 6 months to a year 9/11. What are we writing about 9/11 today? You know. So that was the toughest thing, I think. And there were other national News stories like that, but, uh, you know, some other tough things Uh, without going into too many details. We had someone, for instance, that was running for office locally who appeared to be. uh, To have some sort of mental illness, to be mentally unstable. Who had actually threatened some people on our staff with physical harm and trying to decide how are we going to cover that how are we going to let the public know in a manner that is respectful but tells them the things that they need to know and also too how are we going to keep our own people safe right Uh, this was somebody that actually threatened physical harm to some of our staff Uh, so that was a tough thing to deal with too.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I I can imagine. And I, you know, for as many years as you were in that that realm, um, you could probably write a book on that.
1: <laughs> I probably could, you know, there's an awful lot of things that uh, I I don't want to say I don't remember the specific details, but you know, a story comes along, you cover it for a certain amount of time, and then you move on to the next thing. I would certainly have to go back and do a lot of research to prompt me right on some of the things that uh, that happened over the years. There was another case at uh, one of the previous papers I had worked at where we were investigating a local nonprofit that appeared to be skimming the op- person who operated, appeared to be taking money from this nonprofit that was supposed to help developmentally disabled kids and adults and using it for her own things like her country club membership. Hmm. And at some point someone delivered like 20 boxes, you know, bankers boxes of garbage to us. Oh. They, 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 they had actually, they, they went around town putting these boxes on the lawns of people on our, our staff. And we brought them all in and we had them in the warehouse, the paper warehouse at the paper. And we were going through all these boxes of trash from this nonprofit wow looking for things that might be uh uh a smoking gun right as it were we didn't find a lot in that trash to be <laughs> honest with you except a lot of trash but of trash. it was something that had to be done
0: wow yeah you know see that's that's the the part of the the part of the newspaper world that a lot of us don't hear about or see <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, the deep throat in the parking garage doesn't always have something good to tell you. <laughs> that- Sometimes he does, but
0: <laughs> that- not always. That is right. So when you are, um, oh my goodness, I just completely lost my thought. I've got this mental picture of everybody going through trash now. <laughs> you threw me off, you threw me off. Oh, so you work for a uh, an agency now doing copy editing, how was that, that a transition for you from going from newspaper to what it is you're doing now?
1: Well, I, I made that transition because uh story I tell some people is, you know, no one, you know, when you ask the child, what do you want to do when you grow up? Nobody says, well, I want to make out a 12-week work schedule. <laughs> right. You know? Which was one of the things that I did it, as a, as a manager in my last newspaper job. It's not that I didn't enjoy doing that or I didn't think it was important. It was important. But, you know, that's that's not what I really got into the newspaper business for. You get into it to uh, tell stories and to play a role in democracy, help your community, that sort of thing. But I wanted to get back to doing more writing on a daily basis. And so going to work for the marketing agency gave me a chance to do that. And it also gave me a chance to do a wide variety of stuff. A lot of things that I, I never thought I would be doing, uh, you know, things like uh, writing limericks. Uh, <laughs> one one week I was asked to write some limericks because uh, it was National Limerick Week. And we used them on, uh, I think, our Facebook page, the the, the agency's Facebook page. Yeah. So, you know, can you write a few limericks about marketing? You know, so I did. You know, yeah. that was kind of fun to do. Um, other things, you know, uh, I read a lot of video scripts uh, for companies to put on their websites or what have you. We had a an occasion where we were doing a uh, an event for a nonprofit agency where we worked 24 hours straight from noon to noon creating a bunch of free marketing assets for this nonprofit to promote a fundraising event they were doing. And as part of that, we did a couple of videos and uh, some uh, staff members that worked for this agency that helps immigrants uh, came in and uh, one of my bosses and I took them down the street to a park, sat down, he set up the video camera I started interviewing, and uh, before the evening was done, we had uh, done the interviews, processed the video, uh, transcribed it all, I'd written the script, um, you know, chosen all the different little quotes that we were going to use. And uh, normally we would send out narration to a, uh, uh, you know, a voice talent. And we didn't have time to do that. Uh, so there was just a little narration at the beginning and the end. I did that myself. And uh, before the evening was done, you know, we had these two videos completed, you know, about three minutes each interviewing these people about their experiences. Someday, sometimes we might take, you know, days or uh, weeks to complete a video for a client, depending on what all we need. So that was an interesting and fun experience doing it in that short amount of time and something that probably where my newspaper background helped out, too.
0: Oh, I'm sure. And that's what I was thinking. Your newspaper background, I'm sure, helps you out tremendously, you know, but how fun that you get to do so many different types of things, you know, that you, you probably didn't think that you'd be able to do. So what a what a fun job you've got now and good for you.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fun thing to do. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So what is what is next for you? What is next?
1: Well, definitely next. I've, I've got another novel that I'm thinking about. I've got a couple more that I'm thinking about that would uh, be with the same characters as the one I just completed. Um, but also to, uh, you know, I've had this idea in the back of my head. I do make uh, videos on my YouTube channel to uh, support the books I write and that sort of thing. And I've uh, noticed the number of movies that are in the public domain, Uh, some of them with major stars in it that you would think, why is this in the public domain? But they just didn't copyright it properly or whatnot. And I've had this idea that uh, I would like to go and make my own movie with my own plot using just footage from films that have already been shot that are in the public domain.
0: Well, that sounds interesting.
1: And uh, put something together like that. Yeah. I mean, that's... I think it would be completely unmarketable, but it would just <laughs> be something fun to do.
0: It would be fun to That's what I was sitting there thinking. What a cool idea. That yeah. would be fun to do. Just the whole process of, you know, looking, watching all the movies and picking which clips and stuff that you wanted to use. Yeah. What a cool idea i hope you do do it yeah
1: we'll see if that works out
0: yeah hey, it would be fun <laughs> it would be time consuming but fun yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well I, you know you got to do something with your time
0: that's right that's right as my grandma always said you got to keep busy keep you off the streets
1: there you go <laughs> out of the bingo parlor
0: that's right out of the bingo part right right it's cutthroat sometimes in
1: the bingo <laughs> parlor <laughs>
0: Well, RJ, this has been so fun talking to you and thank you so much for being my guest on Let Fear Bounce today. I do like to ask my guests if they would like to toss out a nugget of hope to our listeners, something that they can just tuck away, put in their pocket and carry with them.
1: Well, my friend, John Schroll said to me, uh, he was a fellow I knew at church and, uh, whether you go to church or you don't or whatnot is, uh, all right. But, uh, he was one of the fellows in the men's choir and he said you know you really ought to come over and join us he said we hear you singing over there in the pew you you might as well just come over here and <laughs> stand over here with us and sing with us but the thing that he said was you know don't worry if your voice isn't good enough the voice god gave you is good enough if it wasn't he would have given you a different voice so whatever you're doing whether you're a writer a singer I knew a lady that made bird baths out of uh, uh, plates and bowls. Whatever it is that you do to bring a little joy to the world, express yourself, don't worry that your voice isn't good enough. It's the voice you were given that makes it good enough. And you're the only one that has it.
0: Exactly. That's a lovely nugget of hope. Thank you for sharing that. And all of you out there listening, I hope that you heard that, truly heard that, and you're tucking it away, that you can carry, with it, carry it with you for the rest of the day. RJ, once again, thank you so much for being my guest today on Let Fear Bounce. This has been a true pleasure.
1: Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you.
0: And everybody out there listening, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, whenever it is that you're listening to this. Everybody out there, this is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Be well, stay well, and be blessed. That wraps up another episode of Let Fear Bounce, folks. Thanks so much for spending a small part of your day with myself and my special guests. I am blessed week by week by the people that I have on my show. I'm also blessed by you for tuning in and listening. And if you want to learn a little bit more about me, you can go to my website at kimlanglingauthor.com and check out everything else I'm doing. I like to keep myself busy. And until next week, folks, everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed. And don't forget, you are amazing. Oh,